Hi, I'm Peter Keegan. And I'm Laura Boswell. And over there we have the talented Mr B on sound. Welcome to Ask an Artist, the podcast that aims to give you as much advice as possible to help you become a working artist, the sort that actually gets to make art and pay the bills at the same time. Laura and I are both that sort of artist. We pay our bills and we do it by making art. And each week we'll be using our personal experience to give you help and advice in making art your proper job. So, you've made your finished piece, you're super proud of it, and it's going in an exhibition. Hurrah! And then you find yourself filling in the submission form and get to the box title of the artwork. And your mind goes completely blank. So today we're going to be discussing why, as artists, we need to title our work, how we do it, and whether there are any secrets to finding that perfect title. So, Peter, how do you find choosing a title for your artwork? I find choosing a title for my artwork incredibly difficult, uh, very <laughs> frustrating and and certainly not a point that I especially look forward to as part of the creative uh, process. It's always this, it's sort of this mighty part of the mountain, I feel, that you kind of, you christen your work <laughs> by giving it that grand title. And my mind really does go blank on it. I think I'm not particularly a gifted wordsmith and I want to create a title that is, you know, interesting and evocative and, and really showcases the work to its best potential. And I always sort of feel I just cannot kind of hit that height that I'm truly after. So I, I do find it really hard and frustrating. And and how about you? Do you do you have the same yeah, struggles? I, you strike me as someone you can <laughs> you could just knock a wonderful title off the top of your head. Well, I find either the title just appears and it's great and I love it, or it's a nightmare. There doesn't, it seems to be very marmite It's either one or the other. And it generally is the other where I'm having to dredge around and think of a good title. Mm. And it's, it's interesting because the ones where the title just appears, it sort of comes naturally and it's no problem. They're great. But really, I, otherwise, I don't think about the title really until the end of the work. Do you think about it while you're making it? Or is that something that you think about once it's complete? It's definitely something once it's complete. I, I try not, you know, the, the, the title never leads uh, the work for me. It's either the, oh, that's interesting. It's either the face or the scene or the quality of light or the colour or whatever it is, you know, I want to say visually. And then the title is what well, I've got to sort of, you know, tie this up in a nice bow and a ribbon to present it to uh, the viewing public. So it always comes latter. I think sometimes as I'm painting a picture, a, a, a title would sort of start emerging as I'm painting it because mm. it's a quality of, of you know, the scene in front of me or whatever it is I'm trying to capture. And of course, I'm talking about paintings that need titles like landscapes or little figure paintings, even still lives to a point. Portraiture, it's obviously, you know, a lot easier because, you you know, if you're painting Joe Bloggs, the title is usually here's Joe Bloggs and, <laughs> and, and little else is needed. Maybe a little bit of airs and graces if they have certain titles that are uh, required before or after the name. Uh, but but um, it's something that I always address afterwards as opposed to before. Now, as a landscape sort of printer, do you are you often guided by the, the scene and the view in front of you as, as a starting point? Or does it come to you as you're literally chipping away at, at the liner or the wood and, and the printing process? Sometimes it does. I mean, there was, there's one that I've just made, which is one of my, my artist support pledge prints. And... It's a woodblock and lino combined print. And the woodblock that I'm using is a roof shingle, which I really like that it sort of, it, it had another purpose and now it's a woodblock in a print. And the picture I've, I've used it for is of 
of um, some trees and some birds and Roof Shingle Rookery is the title of the picture. And it Mm. absolutely came when I started working with the shingle because it all tied together so beautifully. But that's rare. And I think you're right about not choosing the name until the end because I think if you give it a name too early on sometimes, it can set the character or it can mm. you can try and make the image fit the title in a way. Mm. So it's, it's good not to be pinned down. No, I think you're absolutely right that the artwork needs to come first and the title sort of comes later. I have worked at occasion where, um, and you see these often in sort of open competitions where they'll give you a, an, a broad theme or a topic, like, you know, like reflections or or something like that. And I, I don't see that necessarily as a title, more of a, an area to explore and then hopefully a, a title will come out of it. But certainly the artwork should come first and not the title. So let's have a look at why we even need a title. I mean, it's one of those things that you you have to come up with. And I suppose the obvious point is that it it identifies the work and that's really important. Yeah, there's a sense of we need to catalogue, we need to organise our pieces Mm. and it it needs a name. If you had hundreds of pieces and none of them were were named, it would be so easy to get muddled and confused from an organising point of view, from sending to shipping to putting on websites, it would just become a nightmare. So they need to have an identity. um, And and that is that is the title, that is the name. I suppose some some artists will use a number. I know that there are abstract artists um, who will actually give their artwork a number. And nothing wrong with that, as long as you're consistent. But you're absolutely right about this business of keeping a record. Because I think when you start out, you think you'll know all your artworks and you'll always know what's happening to them and so forth. But especially as a printmaker, because I work in multiples, I might have 12 or 16 in an edition and you need to keep track of it. And it can all go pear-shaped really quickly if you don't keep good records. Would you ever, uh, would you ever kind of, if you had the same print, um, mm. an edition of 10, would you, would you name half of, you know, five prints, one title and the other five prints, a different title? If there was perhaps a slight change in colour or something, or even if they were the same, would you ever do that? No, um, I guess the nearest I'd ever come to it would be if it was a long title, I might leave part of the title off for some reason. Like, for example, sometimes when we do greetings cards of my prints, we might condense the title a bit, but I would never change the title in an edition. Once it's set, it's set for all of the prints. So there is another exception as well, and that's to do not with an edition of prints, but with a series of prints. So if I do a set of prints in one colourway and then a set in another colourway, which I don't do very often, but it has happened, then I tend to give them the same title, um, but I'll mention the colourway. So I did a still life of some teasels and there were there were sort of coffee and purple or gold and cream or whatever. And I did a series of prints of Scotland uh, and the title was Near Applecross. And then the rest of the title was very much to do with each individual print and the style of that print. Mm. So, yeah, I would do that. But I think it would be, I mean, have you it would be similar. It would be similar to me, I suppose, if I was painting. I mean, I don't do this often, but if I was painting a landscape and I was mm-hmm. painting the same scene 
but you know one uh, in the morning light and then one of an afternoon light and of mm. an evening light it's the same view but it would be you know uh you know bluebell meadow morning or bluebell meadow sunset or something so it's you know i think that's a, sort of the closest equivalent i could relate to uh, as a painter but I, i'll go back to kind of what you said earlier that at, at the beginning of your artistic career you think you will remember every single piece that you do and of course if you're producing you know multiple hundreds of paintings or prints or whatever throughout the year I mean I, I don't know about you but my memory is pretty hopeless when it comes to remembering what what did I call that how did I organize that mm-hmm. so for, for more than anything I just I write down <laughs> the title there and then uh, on the back of the picture just so I won't forget it because you know I won't keep the title of every single baby that I'm creating in my mind forever. No, I think you're absolutely right. And yeah, it all gets logged onto my computer system and then I know where I am. But its titles are also important from the point of view of selling, aren't they? I mean, I find what I call the work has a quite a significant impact on its saleability. And sometimes I think we covered this in a re, in a, a listener question, the fact that if you are too, uh, especially when you deal in landscape, if you're too specific, sometimes it can work against you, can't it? Mm. Yeah, well, I think it's if you if you make it a very, very specific woodland scene or coastal scene, it's, it's more alienating in some ways for those people that have not been there and experienced that. Whereas if you make it slightly broader and open, then you're inviting more people to sort of share in that experience and they can relate it to experiences that they have uh, themselves experienced. And I know that you, that, that comes so much down to you as a, as a landscape painter mm. and printer, sorry. It does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I try to keep things fairly ambivalent. I mean, part of my, concern as an artist is that I want the person who buys the print or sees the print to make it their own. You know, I love it when people kind of weave their own stories around my artwork. I don't, I don't want to tell them what they're seeing. I would far rather they interpreted it with their own story. So I try to keep things sort of as ambiguous as possible Mm. and just but I might suggest I might try and draw attention to an aspect of the work that I find interesting or that I'd like them to see or um, you know sort of I don't know whether the time of day or something like that Mm. but I think if you start saying oh well this is the road outside so-and-so and 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 this village is in the background I think it all pins it down too much and then Mm. people unless they particularly want that view, are not going to be that interested. And I think if it was obviously if it was a commission, that's fine. A commission is is a bespoke thing mm. of a whether it's a specific oh, uh, sure. person or scene. But if you're if you're producing work that you want to appeal to a broader audience, then I think it makes sense to keep the title, you know, relatively broad and open and inviting. What I also find particularly fascinating is how a title can completely change the what you think and assume a picture is all oh, about. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm finding this with a lot of the still life paintings that I'm doing at the moment. And of course, it might, you know, if I'm painting, you know, I don't know some plums, for example, next to a nice silver pot and I'm enjoying all the reflections and all the brushwork, you know, I think, how do I make this more interesting as a as a title, you know, to putting plums next to pot? You know, that's not particularly engaging. Whereas if I sort of call, you know, the vain one, because this one big plum is looking at its reflection in the silver pot, suddenly that sort of gives a characteristic to one of those little plums in the painting. And and hopefully it's just a little bit more kind of amusing or certainly more interesting to look at than just merely saying plums in a pot. So, um, you know, I I like the way how, how a title can really 
take you in so much further and even change it completely to, to be something completely different. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think intriguing the viewer is always a good thing. I mean, I did a, a Japanese woodblock print and it was called Mrs. Suzuka's Garden Fuji Hiding. And it was a picture of where I'd been staying in Japan and Mount Fuji was in the picture, but it was tiny and it was quite concealed. And I quite liked that it was about somebody's garden and nobody knows Mrs. Sasuka, you know, she's not anybody they know, but it's mm. quite intriguing about this garden and, and where is Mount Fuji, which usually dominates pictures. So that, I, I quite like that title. And lots of people have asked me who she was and it's got a conversation started. And mm. so it brings that, a narrative. Tell, yeah. me that, tell me that story you were telling me about earlier, about that sort of, is a, a little figure, a sort of scene with a, a, the mother holding a baby and how... That had a specific title change that just changed the whole oh, concept yeah, of the picture. Oh, yeah, that was really interesting. It was at a, a, a local show I'd gone around and there was a picture of a mum with a new baby and it was one of those kind of rosy, nice pictures with the mum and the baby. And I was thinking, oh, how, how cheerful, how sweet. And when I got to it, I looked at the title and the title was The Millstone. <laughs> and I suddenly thought, oh, you know, that's not what I was thinking at all. And mm. it was really intriguing because it changed the whole way I felt about the picture. And um, I think it's it, there's a famous novel called The Millstone, which is about somebody with a new baby. But it, it so whether it was a reference to that, I don't know. But I, I thought at the time how it changed what could have been quite you know, sort of a, a generic picture of a mum and baby into something that was really intriguing. And I then mm. wanted to know much more about the what was going on in the picture and how she was looking at the baby. So a title can really change your viewpoint, I think. It, and, and that's a great example how that one title has sort of given three, mm. three brand new sort of entry points to the painting. You've got the painting itself, then you've got mm. this sort of this title uh, of the millstone, which is sort of has this burden to it. So it makes you look at it in a completely different context. No longer is it chocolate boxy, potentially there's something deeper going on. And then thirdly, of course, it's that if it's related to a book that already exists, then there's yeah. the whole connotation of that sort of heaped onto it for those that know it. So it's amazing how a simple play with a title can really transform it. And suddenly you're, you're making it so much more broader and, and potentially more engaging, appealing to, to the audience looking at it. Yeah, and I think also it's it can sometimes be a subtle way of getting a message across without hammering it home, whether you've got a social statement to make or a political statement to mm. make, without being too heavy. You can just sort of nudge people's yeah. awareness mm. in quite a, a kind of creative way with a good title. So yeah. if you produce work where you have a message, it's always worth thinking about whether your title's on point and is going to help with that. So that sort of leads really nicely into how having a title that's memorable and something that really sticks to it. I mean, that's a classic example that you've remembered the title as much as you've remembered uh, that work mm. of art in that circumstance. And quite often a title can really help you remember the point behind why that artwork has been made and communicated to the viewer. So, I mean, you, you, you just have to look back into the history of art that, you know, you've got, you know, Girl with a Pearl Earring by Vermeer. You know, this is no mm. longer a portrait, but this is this is this beautiful pearl sitting on this beautiful, youthful face sort of dangling down, catching the light. You know, it's as, it's as much a portrait of a piece of jewellery than it is, um, you know, this young girl. Mm. And then you've got the Water Lilies series by Monet, and Monet painted dozens and dozens of canvases, all of the same thing. So sometimes you can have a, a title 
that attributes to kind of quite a wide collection uh, of pieces to an artist's work? Or actually you think of the title first before then you think of the work? I think obviously history really helps with that and, you know, certainly being very known uh, for the type of work that you do. But it can really... I think in some ways kind of guide you in the type of work that you're producing, which sort of goes against what we were saying at the beginning about you should, you know, you do the work first and then title it. But sometimes I think if you if you get a good title with a good piece and that works, it's worth investigating that maybe as a theme a little further to see if you can create more work out of it. I think you've got a really good point there, Peter, because I think having a name that's across a series of works is a really good way to link them together. We've talked quite often about producing bodies of work and about consistency. And the idea of like the water lily, sort of really good classic example, where you can produce several artworks under the same kind of um, title Mm. is a good way of drawing the artworks together, but also establishing your identity as the painter or the printmaker or whoever. I think jewellers often do that in that they will have a collection of work and they might give the whole collection a title Mm. that sort of sums up that that kind of creativity. So I think for makers, that's often a a stylistic title that they'll give a series, but it can work for artists Mm. too. Mm, Absolutely. And I think in regards to sort of just to sort of think about the, what the legacy is of of a of an artist, how do you want to be known and, and remembered for in regards to your pictures uh, and, and the title? And I think it's a good rule to keep your titles relatively short and sweet and memorable because, you know, for example, just picture this, if you're if you have a painting or a print or work of art in a gallery or in a studio and someone sees it, you know, you want them to fall in love with a piece. Give them an easy, manageable title. Don't come up with a, you know, a, a <laughs> two or three sentence title, you know, with difficult language or, you know, and maybe it's a foreign language that you think might people might struggle with because it's it, it will be harder for them to go home and remember and then call up the gallery and say, do you know, I saw that piece earlier. I think it was, it was titled this. You want it to roll off the tongue nicely. You don't want it to be a, a sort of a barrier. I mean, I, I, as someone who struggles with words, I would certainly find that um, a, a, a hurdle I'd need to sort of get over if it was a very difficult uh, title to engage with. So, you know, a good lesson is you know, keep them keep them s- simple and sweet and engageable. Don't go oh. too, um, you know, uh, literary on them, perhaps. Absolutely. I once went to a show where one of the painters had decided to give all of his pictures French quotes as titles. Oh, and I mean, it's all very right elegant. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> it was all it was all very fancy. and It was all very elegant. And I just thought, how would you go to the front desk and ask if like me, you're mm. very embarrassed by your French accent? I would be thinking, <laughs> you know, I'd have to say, oh, I want that one, you know, which is a bit sad. So I think you do you do have to be careful and as you say keep it pronounceable and short and sweet within reason. So I think now would be a good time to splash some color into this podcast. So Peter, time to get a bit feisty. I gather you've been playing with a paint that's packing a punch. Yes, I've been watching just how explosive a colour thallo green could be on my palette. Now, Michael Harding's thallocyline or thallo green probably ties with thallo blue and deep purple as the strongest pigment in the range of his paints. It has atomic tint power, which wow. means if you're not careful, <laughs> it can dominate your palette and painting. So it's to be used with great care. It is, however, a really 
hypnotising, beautiful colour, creating some of the most juicy acid blue-green hues and blue undertones, which come to prominence when mixed with yellows. But when it dries, it has this wonderful quality. It virtually looks... has a bronze quality when it dries. It shimmers and shines in the light. Now, it's relatively a new colour. It was introduced in 1938, and it's a synthetic organic pigment from the thalosiline range of colours, the really strong ones. And its pigment often serves a basis for many of other pre-mixed greens, like sap green or Caribbean turquoise. So a beautiful colour to work with, but not for the faint-hearted, as it has so often been the ruin of many a student's work who hasn't checked what the colour looks like in daylight. So a good tip to check there. Well, that sounds really exciting colour to use. And Peter and I may not be able to decide whether to call it thalo or thalo, but you can find out all about it and other colours in the range offered by Michael Harding by visiting his website at michaelharding.co.uk. And now we've had our colour fix, let's get back to that tricky choice of title for our artworks. So how do we go about it? Where's a good place to start, Peter, with choosing a title? So much like I think the sort of creating a body of work is to sort of look at themes, you know, always try and find the common uh, denominator in your work, whether it is a colour palette, whether it is your genre, whether it is um, a style or technique. For me, that would be always a good place uh, to start. Uh, and, And that's keeping a very broad uh, setting that's not giving a very focused uh, title you want so if you're making a body of work you perhaps want to keep the titles fairly similar so they kind of i would mm. say relate to each other that there's a sort of a um, a rhythm or a harmony for all of them as opposed to being very contrasting uh, and very different so i would look for broader terms to begin with as opposed to specific if nothing then starts to pop out then i'd sort of delve a little bit deeper um, and if your mm. picture if there is a narrative there, which I think is wonderful to, to give, as we said earlier, if you can give a, a title which changes your engagement with it, a narrative storytelling is one of the best ways to do that. If you can spot something that you can really pick upon in the picture, which gives it that extra d- dimension, then start looking into it that little bit uh, deeper. But I would start broadly first. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And if you are giving it a title with a couple of words, think about the word order as well. I mean, I've got a few prints and I've got one called Persimmons and Rice, which is a paddy field with, with a persimmon tree in it. And it's, it's working out where the persimmons and rice works better than rice and persimmons. Mm. And actually changing it around the other way works better. So I often will, I'll write down a title, but I'll also read it out loud and run it past Ben or whoever first to just check that I haven't made any glaring errors or there's some hidden meaning or word play or something Mm. like that. You have to do a sort of run a check and make sure you haven't said anything that you'll regret later. I I hadn't thought about that. That's such a, yeah, you you don't want to call it something. I mean, it's like if if you say something and it's not quite right or there's some question about it, forevermore you'll be explaining why that picture has mention of I don't know an oak tree in the title and there's no oak tree in the picture people are very literal they want mm. to know what's going on so just you know check check and of course what right what that everything. what that does <laughs> is by by inadvertently 
taking attention away you're sort of changing the focus of the painting and of uh, of the work and of course what we want to do as artists is draw the viewer's attention to the focus point of the work what is the picture about and that is you know that's what I always do with all the pieces whether it's a portrait or or a still life is what is the point of this picture what do I want to really say about the character the personality of the subject or you know the reflection of the uh, the, the, the pot and this you know plum in this still life you know that is that fascinating relationship so that is the bit I'm really going to focus in on in regards to lead what the title is as opposed to leading people down a, a, a different path potentially uh un, un, um, unplanned as as you just described yeah I think so and I think just there's a lot to be said for just keeping it simple and and descriptive I mean a lot of my landscapes I will say you know clear day or falling water if there's a waterfall or something like that where it's it's just it is what it is. Yeah, and then, that is fine. <laughs> as I say, the viewer can, you know, there's no harm in that. There's no harm in going very simple. It's nice so to intrigue a- people sometimes, but you don't always have to do that. So what about going to the ultimate simplicity of calling a picture untitled? What do we what do we think about the the untitled side of work? Oh, that is a tricky one because untitled, it's going to be difficult to catalogue that, put it that way. I would, if I was going to go down that route, I'd rather give it a number okay. um, of some sort than, than just untitled because let's, if it's, if it's your only work that's untitled, then of course it is a title. But if you have 10 untitled, then you're going to suppose the gallery rings up and says, Oh, you know, untitled. Well, we'd like <laughs> to have that back. And then you're in a whole can of worms trying to work mm. out which untitled they have and which they haven't and all that kind of thing. It comes across as whenever I see the word untitled, it, it makes me think of, you know, the, the, those really big contemporary galleries, the big white spaces with, with mm. lots of confusing art that I really need to sort of read the plaques and really try and understand. And only when I get to the bottom of the plaque, I have a vague idea, but I'm still a million miles away <laughs> kind of from it, which I think goes to show why, why a title is, is really kind of necessary in many ways. I feel that for those artists out there who potentially work in a more abstract fashion, that their their title needs to be as abstract as the, the yeah. image that they've produced. I can completely understand that. And you wouldn't want to give any type of leaning to what you're trying to say or what the picture is trying to be. So giving it a title... Uh, that is as abstract as the piece, I think is important. But I think you need to offer more than untitled, whether you're giving it a number yeah, or so a letter yeah. or something. Yeah, or just a colour or something like that. It's it's not that you have to sort of think of a, a, a figurative title. It's that you need an identi- identification yeah. for that picture. And mm. that is quite important, I think. So you just, you gave me a little clue there that if you're a little stuck for a title that you do, you do phone a friend and you enlist the, uh, the many talents that is, uh, that are possessed of by Mr. B, uh, you get a, a second opinion and get some help if you are struggling with the title. Well, I did, I get, I get some help once I've thought of one because I, I've thought about this and I, I am a horrible control freak. Ben is nodding in the background. <laughs> so I'm a bit of a complete control freak. So I would find it very hard just to have somebody else's title that they'd thought of. But I certainly do run titles past them. 
But I think you're you're a bit more open to to having suggestions, are you, Peter? Well, I, I think when I'm at the point where I just think I just don't know what to call it, and I'm, I'm I actually sometimes have no interest really. I I, I kind of want I've finished with it mentally. I've produced the picture. I want to release it right. into the world. So I have done the thing where I have reached out to buyers, collectors, or even through social media and saying, well, here's a picture, but I'm not quite sure what to call it. Do any of you have any ideas? And uh, first of all, it's what you hope is that they give you an idea. You think, God, I hadn't thought of that. That's a really fascinating uh, title. So I'll kind of steal that and think, that's thank you very much. That's a wonderful idea. But also instantly you, you get the feeling for what the feedback is. So what are uh, the strengths mm. of the picture? Are they noticing the thing that I intended to paint? If I am painting I know, a little picture of a, a boy on the beach uh, digging a sandcastle and it's all about the reflections of the water and that lovely sort of evening light, if that's what I tried to capture, have I conveyed that successfully? And are the people looking at the picture kind of titling it in the way that I would hope uh, conveys the strengths oh, of the really picture. that's really interesting. So yeah, it's sort I've never of a little really bit thought about it in the terms of the feedback, kind yeah. of getting your, the feedback, especially with, as you say, where maybe there's a, there's a character or there's something going on in it to see if people are seeing it the way you are. Do they yeah. ever take you by surprise? Some of them, yeah. I just think, God, I hadn't hadn't thought of, of that's the way that they would engage with it. And of course, people are bringing it to it their own uh, experiences, which of course I will, would have no idea of what that is. Mm. And with that as well, you know, some people are, are very gifted wordsmiths. So they come up with very, very clever uh, titles, which I would never have been able to have done uh, myself. So I have done that occasionally, but I will show you know, Kimberly and a few other people in the studio and artistic mm. friends saying, here's a piece and I'm struggling for a title. And if they're feeling generous and if I'm feeling open, <laughs> I may uh, uh, take a suggestion or two to help it. It's also quite good for engagement as well for those people looking to, uh, of course, you know, yeah. you know, tick the algorithms of social media and sort of getting engagement uh, by in, in involving your audience in some way is a very good way of getting audience participation. And, and I think people quite like it, you know, feeling that they are involved in some way. They are a part of that uh, creation and I have had it once where I think I asked some advice on a picture um, and I, a lady came up with a wonderful suggestion I said I love that title I think I'm going to use it and then she bought the painting <laughs> so um, I'm oh, sure that's result. not a, that's not always <laughs> going to uh, to work out but I think that just proves that there is that p- people like to be involved and it, you're inviting them into the creative process and, and titling is a, very much a part of that. So, Laura, what do you think? How are we going to summarise today? What's the takeaway today? Well, I think that giving your work a title can not only help with the administration side of the business, but if it's done successfully, I think it can really help with those sales as well. So think about the legacy of you and your work and always check and get a second opinion. And remember that keep it simple and keep it straightforward. Well, thank you, Laura, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember, you can catch up with everything we've talked about in today's episode and all our previous episodes in our show notes at askanartistpodcast.com. And if you'd like us to leave us a wonderful review or rating on Apple Podcasts or our social media, we'd love to hear from you too. 